The following is a production of Entertainment Rating Services. Son, you know your father was a rigger, a rigger was he. Son, the shoes you have to fill are bigger, as big as can be. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 17 of Shackles, Burlap and Lies. I'm your host Ethan Gilson and today I am joined by John Sharp, president of United Staging and Rigging. How are you doing today, John? I am just ducky, living, living the COVID dreams. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, as always, who are you? My name's John Sharp. I'm the uh, president and uh, owner of United Staging and Rigging. What is uh, uh, what does USR do? We are a staging and rigging company, and, and surprisingly, not everybody knows that. Um, based in the Northeast, uh, but but we do work all 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 over. Uh, most recently, we got to go down to Nicaragua uh, for an event, which was pretty cool, but. We focus on uh, stages, uh, structures, outdoor roof systems, and uh, overhead uh, rigging systems. Nice. How did uh, you yourself get into the rigging business? Um, <laughs> first people to hire me. <laughs> so, <laughs> really are, you, are you saying you were the low hanging fruit? I, I, I think so. I, I think so. Yeah. No, I. Uh, I went to school and got my bachelor's of arts and, um, you know, set and lighting design, uh, and, uh, moved to Boston to start that career and thought that I was going to be a scenic artist and worked uh, with some local lighting shops. And, um, right around that same time, which was, uh, in, uh, 99, uh, United Staging had opened a, an office in, in Boston, and uh, I met the, I met those guys and went over there and worked a call, and they offered me a full time job. And you know, my my father always taught me the the benefit of having health insurance or the need, <laughs> and so I, right. I jumped on that opportunity and didn't know didn't really know anything about rigging. You know, knew a little bit from my theater days and you know, on counterweight systems and stuff, but this whole, uh, you know, concept of arena rigging and chain hoist and all that was, was, you know, uncharted waters for me. So I said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give this a try. I'll give this a year, see if I learn anything. And as long as I learn something, I'll stay. And, uh, that that's continued for a while. I keep learning. So I stay, right. now I'm stuck. Now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about the time you and I met was the late nineties, just as you got involved with yeah. uh, United and they opened the Boston office. So mm -hmm. United originally, so you have two locations, I should say you have the Boston, the Metro Boston area office, mm -hmm. as well as a metropolitan New York office. So I say that because technically you're not in either city, but not a lot of companies are these days. Right. Um, right. So the original uh, office was in Bridgeport, Connecticut correct? Uh, Norwalk. It started. Norwalk. Yeah. Yeah. The company started in 1986 in Norwalk, Connecticut. Right. And the, 
And then, uh, yeah, in 2004, we relocated that office to Bridgeport. Gotcha. So what I think is an interesting part of your journey is, as you said, you started working for a company. Um, and then quite a few late years later, as uh, we mentioned with Adrian in the trust episode, after 30 years, after a certain time period, the owners look at you know their exit strategy and a, a unique opportunity presented itself to you in terms of being able to take ownership of the company that you at that point had been working for X number of years. How did that process happen? How did it, uh, you know, go along? And, and what were some of your feelings about going from employee to owner? <laughs> it was, it was an interesting process. So the, the, the previous owner, um, you know, gentleman, uh, Larry Morley, um, He's, I'm not shy to say this, um, you know, he, he's, he's the first to admit it, but, but the company, uh, in his words, grew in spite of him, not, not because of him. So he was, his focus was always um, in theater, uh, in Broadway and touring shows, all of that. Uh, and he founded the company to help support those efforts. And then the company kept growing and he was very seldom, you know, a, a working member of, of the team, you know, at, at United. Um, so what that did was allow a fantastic opportunity for me to quickly climb the ladder. Um, you know, when I started, it was, I was a truck driver and warehouse guy and, you know, jack of all trades type thing, you know, fixed boxes and cases and drove the truck and delivered the stuff and set up stages and learned about rigging. And, you know, with, with it being a small startup shop, it allowed me to, you know, learn all the roles there. And, um, throughout that I had relocated from Boston down to the Connecticut shop and worked in that market for a number of years, uh, moved back North, um, and uh, you know, took over operations there. And then in 2012, um, Larry asked me to, to, if I would, you know, be the director of operations for, for both locations. And I jumped at that opportunity. And, uh, you know, as time went on, we had some, you know, early discussions that, you know, I had interest in ownership and, um, he wasn't ready to sell at that time. And then he decided he was ready to sell and we started that process. Um, it was foreign to both of us, you know, he had never sold a company and I had never bought a company. So we, um, you know, it put, I had a unique situation where having, having being been in charge of both operations, I knew everything. I knew the books. I knew I knew the company better than the owner at that point. So it was a complicated process of selling the company to myself and buying the company at the same time while walking a very moral, you know, right. line, fine line on, hey, let's let's make sure everything's above board and you know this is right. And so you know while. I was involved in ordering the appraisals for the business valuation you know, I was also involved in, you know, writing business plans and sourcing funding and all that sort of stuff that goes with it. So it was a, 
it, it was a unique process. Uh, I mean, not it was nice because there's a lot of respect between Larry and myself, and a lot of trust, and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of honesty between us. So, so that made it a lot a lot easier, a lot more comforting. But it still had to be handled in a you know professional, proper manner, as you would with somebody you didn't know. Definitely made the right. players nervous. I'm sure of that. <laughs> but that that goes to sig- that goes to signify the strength of of relationships in business that it's not necessarily always about the legal side or about the dollars and cents, but sometimes it's about the relationship you have with with the people involved and and how you communicate and uh, the trust factor. Mm-hmm. You know that yeah, there's the joke saying that you know you know a real estate deal is good when no one walks away happy. Um, (laughs) you know, I think that's a, you know, it's a joke, but there's a certain amount of truth to it, which is, uh, you know, people feel, have this feeling that in, in, a in, in, in all real estate is, is a business deal is that, you know, no one's getting taken advantage of it's a fair deal and everything. But when you know the other person and you know what is fair and you trust each other and you've worked alongside, uh, it certainly, it can make it more complicated. But it can also make it a lot easier. So, right, right. No, it's a, I think I think this whole this whole business, this whole industry is is all based on relationships. I mean, you know, that's that's the number one thing. You got to trust the person. You know, we work in a a deadline driven, critical world, and to hire somebody you don't know to represent you. Um, and represent your company, you know, a lot of times we, we work for other companies, uh, but all that, yeah, it's all based on trust and faith in the person that they're going to do, you know, everything they say and they have the integrity and, you know, to hold up their end of the deal. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, relationships are critical to everything, everything we do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're only as good as your last show, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then Steve Edelman, says it a lot of you know it's your reputation you know that Mm -hmm. it's not your your fear of an accident shouldn't shouldn't be based on the legal ramifications it should be based on not wanting anyone to get injured and then your reputation not wanting to be seen as someone who wasn't prepared as well as they could have been for the environment they're working in yep so that is certainly true i mean I don't do a lot of advertising. Most of my business comes in word of mouth, so or referral. Right. So, right, that's certainly true. So, when you took over the company, and mm-hmm. uh, the company has continued to grow uh, up to you know twenty twenty when everyone's business took a pause, <laughs> um, but you guys kind of uh, continue to grow in directions the company hadn't been doing things before. So uh, you started doing a lot of in-house fabrication of stuff, and that led to uh, creating some of your own products that you used all the time, ideas that you got. Do you want to talk about some of the the cool things that you guys have started doing and some of the resources you brought in, which is related to a question I ask usually, which is what is your favorite tool or whatever? What's the new tool that's, you know, really got you hot and bothered? You guys have a new tool that you've been using, which is really big, which I'm sure is. (laughs) (laughs) We do. Yes. (laughs) We bought a really big tool and to pay somebody to carry it. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, no, we, we started, uh, you know, building our own stage decks, uh, doing more widget, uh, you know, manufacturing, um, you know, solution uh, design, if you will. Um, you know, on the, the staging side of our business is, is, a, is a large portion of what we do. Um, and we've tried, you know, we currently own three different manufacturers of staging other than our own, you know, with our own, it's, it's four. And they all have their limitations. There's no one stage deck that meets all criteria. You know, I, I, I've exhausted all possibilities. I really wish there was. Uh, it would make lives a lot easier, um, but but there isn't. And so we sought out to develop our own that met the most criteria possible that that we felt was important and and that was lacking in, in certain areas and that that fit our market and our needs and, and our clients' uh, you know requirements. And so we, you know, designed, designed our own stage deck and, um, and it's been, it's been going pretty well. Um, you know, there's some hiccups in the road and, uh, I, I tell you, you know, I, I, I really respect the, the, the older generation that went through this without the process of like 3d printing and, you know, email and CAD <laughs> right. programs because um, that stuff saved us a lot of time and effort. Um, but yeah, we, we uh, you know, went through, you know, learning about it, you know, doing our own extrusions and what the mills, you know, requirements are in three decimal place, you know, tolerance on stuff and what that really means. And, you know, keep in mind, I came from a background of theater carpentry and, you know, if you got, if you got a quarter inch, you're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not There's nothing. No, nothing a bigger hammer can't uh, help. Right, solve. right. You just squish it together, right? So, you know, then we got into you know ten thousandths, you know, plus or minus tolerance, and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, what is this? And and a lot of it, you know, I mean, the, the staging it, it worked. It took a couple years. Uh, we got it up. We've been building it like crazy. We've gone through the load testing, which was fun. Uh, you know, we were able to put. 27,000 pounds on a stage deck, which, you know, you don't get to do much um, and see what happens. And then it, it brought us into, you know, some other areas um, where we were asked to, you know, design uh, projector stands for um, that, that were installed at Radio City where they 3D mapped the entire house. And, you know, so we were approached for that, like, hey, can you help us you know, with these stands for these projectors and we want to stack them too tall and we want a 45 degree pitch and a 30 degree roll and you know they're 300 400 pounds a piece and you know, we're like sure let's see what we can do and um you know that that process um you know going down that uh, allowed us to to keep exploring what we were capable of and um you know we we're able to bring on uh, you know, fabrication team and, you know, work with a, a metal shop and invest in the welders and the tools and the mills. And, you know, then that brought us to that, the, the Haas, uh, you know, uh, VF6 uh, mill, which is a gigantic machine that still was, was troublesome with mainly with stage decks, right? So you've got the eight feet uh, length to deal with and the vertical machining centers, 
having eight foot of anything, you know, those guys are used to making small parts and, uh, right. We then want to put this eight foot piece on it, which means it needs to be 16 feet wide because <laughs> it's got to travel yeah. both ends. And, you know, so we even had to, you know, add some extended bump out bays on the, on the end of that machine. And that, um, that, that eats a lot, a lot of space in your warehouse where takes up you know, a lot of space in the warehouse. Yeah. That's yeah. all, all that space can be used for is that machine now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't yeah. move. It doesn't right. move. I, I think it was uh, 30,000 pounds. And I, I tell you that, you know, we call ourselves riggers, but the guy, the riggers that brought that machine in, um, you know, the fact that he had hydraulic levelers on his trailer. So as it shifted the load to the back and, he was able to rock it left and right and squeeze it through the three inches of space. You know, we had to widen our, our, our bay doors uh, to get the machine in. And then, yeah, watching him with a remote control re-level this trailer that he was dragging this thing off of as the weight shifted. I was like, wow, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Man, I, I joked about this last episode is like with, with Dave Carmack about, you know, we're cheap. We don't want to pay for two limit switches. Well, we don't want to pay for anything. So, but we see what these industrial lifting companies have and we're like, oh, that would be cool. Oh, I yeah. could use that, yeah. you know, if I had an endless budget. Right, right, right. Yeah, they got some fun tools. Uh, yeah. That's what we should design is a, a, a Murphy CNC machine. So it's like a Murphy <laughs> bed. You just fold it up into the wall when you're not using it. All right. Well, that'd be, that'd be, it would be fantastic if we had the floor space, um, you know, that this unit takes up, uh, you know, back when we weren't using it. But, but I tell you, I mean, since we, since we brought it in, it's been running, it's been running nonstop. You know, it's slowed down a little bit the past couple of months, but it's, it's been, uh, you know, it's been running nonstop and, and worth worth every dime. And it just it just makes you start thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then you go down this rabbit hole that you know you never saw coming. Yeah. Well, it's it's if you've ever taken a, when they existed Mountain University Hoist School Mountain mm -hmm. U. Mm -hmm. um, you would go down to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and you do your class. And at some point, the uh, former owner, Jim Evans, would take you a walk around the campus. And I say campus because they had a lot of uh, acreage. Um, yep. And the joke with Jim Evans is everything's for sale. You know, if, if you offered him enough money, if he bought a car yesterday, he'd sell you the car today. If mm -hmm. he could make a few dollars on it and it, you know, worked for everyone, he'd do it. And they they would do some interesting product projects. Uh, they were building these large steel trusses for the military. Basically, they were building targets for tanks. So the tanks would go to the range. You'd have these huge trusses that were holding plinking plates that the <laughs> tanks would shoot at. So these are like 12-foot-tall trusses. Right. Huge. But he had engineers. He had fabrication someone it came along and he said yes so it's that mindset of what can we do for the client you know do we have the resources can we make money sure why not right 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 yeah and it's and it's keeping things in in check i mean we've we've certainly you know over the years gone gone down a few different roads that distracted us you know that that, that weren't that fruitful that uh, you know, led us in a direction with their time and efforts that, you know, never, never resulted in anything, but, 
you know, if you don't do it, you don't try it. You, you'll never, you'll never truly know. And so, right. And there's, there's a fine balance between being everything to everyone and being focused and excelling at a few things that you're really good at and being able to capitalize on that. So there's, yeah. there's a balance between there that everyone, and it's not just businesses, individuals go through that. You know, do you want to, do you want to be that jack of all trades in the theater and do a little lighting and a little sound and a little scenic carpentry? Or do you want to focus on one of those areas and excel at that? Mm -hmm. um, and there are pros and cons to both sides. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we, we decided to scale back and, you know, and focus. Um, this was probably six or seven years ago on just what we do. You know, we, we, yeah, we'll get a lot of, a lot of calls and, and we support a lot of, lighting and sound companies, right? That's, that's what we do. And, you know, a lot of times they'll, they'll come back to us like, Hey, you know, why don't you scratch our back? And, and I have to, nobody calls me to light their show. Nobody calls the rigging company first. Right. <laughs> you, you, you know, we're like, like, trust me, if I, if I can, I will, but, but don't expect it. Don't, don't think that we're bringing in, you know, I, we don't want to work with the end client. Um, you know, we want to work with the, the other, you know, professionals and the, and the technicians and the, and the other trades. Um, those are, those are our people, uh, you know, working directly with the end client. Like that's, that's not what our focus is. Um, so we let other people uh, do that and we just you know, hope that they give us the call <laughs> to help them out. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. So one of the questions I ask is what has been the, your favorite project to work on? And you guys have worked on some very high profile and interesting projects over the last 24 or 36 months. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned uh, the project in Ecuador. Um, what did you say? Nicaragua. That. Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Yep. Um, yep. Which was, uh, was really cool. Uh, check was. out, yeah. check yeah. out the social media from <laughs> United States and rigging yeah. because there's lots of cool yeah. pictures. Yeah. Talk about that project as well as you guys have done some stuff with um, a couple of the networks who have been doing these live musicals mm -hmm. on TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no, I mean uh, you know Nicaragua was Nicolinda's volcano live walk, uh, and we were brought into offer, uh, you know, camera support and, uh, fall protection for the, uh, for the workers, not, not for Nick and, and his team. His team is self-contained. I think it's his uncle. It's his uncle that rigs the, the cable for him. Um, but that was an interesting thing. And, and it was riddled with challenges and surprises and, you know, things, an environment that, <laughs> We're at the top of volcano, you know, who the hell knew that it would just eat away everything so quickly, <laughs> you know, the, right. the sulfuric gas, when it mixed with the humidity turned to acid and, you know, surprise, <laughs> like you should see the stuff that came back from that job. And then it, you know, and then the fact that afterwards it, it sits in a shipping container for six or eight weeks before it even got to us. So it's not like we can quickly neutralize it. Um, but yeah, we lost a lot of equipment uh, on that job. Um, anything that's life safety is, is, uh, d destroyed. Um, I mean, so immediate, immediate corrosion. When you guys were preparing to go down there, did you know about, uh, 
certain aspects of that in terms of for PPE for your employees in terms mm -hmm. of breathing and everything? Was it really just the what it was going to do to the equipment portion that you hadn't? Yeah, we were we were you know fortunate to work with a network that has their shit together, right? So they had a volcanologist on there, and you know they help. They have their own you know safety department as well um, that we coordinated with. Uh, so we had the right respirators and all of that for the guys, and you know, you had safer areas. It was, it's an area that if you were a tourist and went to, you're only allowed to stay for 15 minutes and then you have to leave. And we were there for weeks, um, in, in 10, 12 hour days. So yeah, everybody's wearing a respirator. It's, it's, it's just an amplified version of today's life really. Right. <laughs> right? Um, the, the surprise was how, yeah, how quickly it like we we figured there'd be some rust and there'd be some, you know some, some corrosion and stuff just it, it was eye-opening at how how quick it was to oxidize um right you know that was that was definitely a, a shock and even even the aluminum you know we have pictures of aluminum it looks like it's dripping you know i don't, I don't even know what the substance is on it um you know but yeah every, everything everything took a you know quite a hit there on that but but for the the life safety for the individuals yeah there was there's medics uh there's a volcanologist there were studies there was a lot of warning uh we we even sent our our team for rabies shots you know because there's mention of you know you know rabid bats that fly over where you eat the whole time so you know we sent the team in for to get those shots done um along with all the other uh, immunizations that, mm -hmm. that you would need to go there. Um, so, so yeah, there was, there's a lot of that. And, uh, at the end of the day, you know, nobody got bit by a rabbit bat and, uh, you, you know, nobody, nobody got sick. Um, and nobody and fell stuff. off a wire. Nobody fell off a wire. No. And then you have the people who are just like living the king, you know, in the, <laughs> in the volcano who don't wear respirators yeah. and, you know, the one guy who worked there all the time is like, yeah, I just put on my respirator when I get, you know, halfway down inside the hole. It's like, all right, <laughs> that's your choice, I guess. <laughs> you know, yeah. But, but yeah, but now the the NBC Live stuff. Um, you know, our our I think our best one that that I was involved with with that team was um, the Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, you know, it was very very well executed. It was very well received. Um, you know, won t Tony's, uh, you know, awards for that. So it was, that one was pretty cool to be part of. And, and the, the sheer size of it in the venue, um, you know, and the fact that we, everything was squeezed in within inches, literally inches of, of even the Raptors, uh, you know, cause the seating risers we built went up so high, um, was, it was remarkable. It was a, it what was did a you guys show. provide for that? For that, we did uh, we provided all the overhead rigging, um, all the fall protection for the workers there, and the main stage and the seating risers. On there, um, it was a uh, that was a good one. That was a good one. We're, we're hoping now we get to do those <laughs> do those shows again. But um, yeah, yeah. 
and it's so in a, a tough neighborhood in a tough neighborhood of downtown brooklyn yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so those have been some of the fun ones what mm-hmm. do you have any uh rigging horror stories any uh situations you guys walked into that you're like wow this is bad and we're able to offer a solution to resolve it or or anything so bad that you walked away and said just tear the building down um no, we've been asked to come in and, and help at, at times, <laughs> you, you, you know, um, uh, there's, there's some arts organizations that, that had a structure up one time that, you know, they called us to come look at it and that was a, holy cow, this is horrible. Uh, let's get it straightened out. Um, and we're able to, to jump in and do that. Um, I don't, I don't have any that were that were real utter, you know, disasters, which is, which is good. Um, you know, there's, uh, no, I mean, there's, there's plenty of jobs out there that, that, you know, everybody just took a beating on doing, (laughs) you know, um, mainly these, these time schedules and stuff that we're forced into, um, you know, are the cause of that, but, but no, no, nothing, Real, uh, you know, horror stories. So, you've mentioned a few times employee safety, fall arrest. Um, Mm -hmm. You guys have been big supporters and heavily involved with the Event Safety Alliance. Do you want to talk a little about how you became involved with that and and what you've gotten out of the ESA? Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, I was introduced to the ESA. It's probably four or five years ago now with uh, Dominic, right? So Dominic... Um, Huzia. Yeah, Huzia. I'm never going to pronounce that name right. Um, he uh, he said, hey, we're doing this. We're part of this. Uh, we had, we were hosting some some trainings um, up in, up in our, our Massachusetts location, um, which we started a, a few years before that. And... He came to that and he said, hey, you know, we're, there's a CSA and he kind of told me about it and, uh, you know, offered a, a ticket to it and I'm cheap as hell. So I took him up on that and went down and, and checked it out and uh, was really blown away um, by the what they what they were able to accomplish, uh, the, the diversity of, of education, um, the camaraderie and the, the feelings uh you know that everybody's on the same page here and drawing attention to this this problem that we have in our industry and that it's very much um and it's 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 getting better daily but it's very much you know, been kind of the wild west and you know you when we first did our our training, which was was that twenty fourteen, I think two thousand fourteen or so, we we hosted our first one with uh, with you and Total Structures and Clark Reader, yeah. and we did an outdoor outdoor you know workshop and rigging seminars and and the amount of turnout we got on that and some of the ideas that came out of that um, it was it was uh, inspirational. And so to see 
you know, another group doing that um, and how quickly they're growing and the caliber of individuals that were involved. Um, it was, it was impressive. And the next year I signed up as a sponsor and, uh, you know, each year since we've been bringing, uh, as many people from my team as I can, uh, you know, afford to send down there. Uh, cause it's not, it's not a cheap venture by any means. Um, and, uh, yeah, they've, they've offered a lot, you, you know, even with the, the COVID stuff, them putting together this guide that I'm seeing, you know, called out in state specifications and which is incredible. Um, I was going to ask, is there anything from any of the summits that you've attended or any of your employees have intended, attended that you, you came back and implemented something from it or, or anything that you had gone, I use the term colorblind to an area that you thought you were doing well in, but maybe something drew your attention. It's like, wait, there, there's always room for improvement. Here's something we can do. And, 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 you know, is there something it, you recall specifically? Maybe not specific. I mean, everybody that I've sent down afterwards or gone with has, you know, come away with that wide eyed perspective on, holy crap, we can do better. We need to do better. You know, why aren't we doing this? Right. And there's, and there's a lot of um, discovery in this process. Right. So, so, you know, it's saying the, the more you learn, the less, you know, and, as as we learn the different rules and the different standards and the different laws and you know when we go through and a lot of these are self-discovery right there, there's nobody that was in our company um, you know teaching us or passing this down because we're not that far removed from the guys who used to slide down the chains right and you know hard hats are are very new to job sites for us and the high viz right. are very new to job sites for us as an industry um you know because we've all sort of fooled ourselves into thinking that we don't fall under the same guidelines that construction yep. does and that's not that's not the case so to know that you know, you're, you're not alone in this and that you don't have to know everything because nobody does. You just, you have to be trying, uh, or you should be trying, you should be trying to learn more. You should be trying to better it. You should be trying to improve, you know, job site safety and worker safety. And, and it all comes with awareness. I mean, you know, it, for, for me, it's not really ESA that triggered it, but I noticed big change after the Indianapolis, you know, disaster. And, and that and I'll mention this, you and I recording this on Friday, the 14th, yesterday, the 13th was the nine year anniversary of the Indiana state fair collapse. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, that disaster did wonders for our industry and, um, you know, brought a lot of light to, you know, why, why is everybody trying to, to have like the biggest as, as Adrian, not to quote, to create Adrian, you know, Forbes Black there from, from area four now, you know, we have the biggest, heaviest, stupid thing in the room. Stop trying to lowball me. <laughs> you know, we've got the deadliest thing here. We need to pay attention to it more than you're, you're trying to force me not to, you know, and that that opened the door for a lot 
a lot of uh, public awareness um, in what we do um, and a lot of ability to to not be fought on measures on safety measures. And yeah, you got to pay for a guy. He's going to sit there and do nothing until he really needs to. Um, right. You know, and these are important roles. Um, you know, it's, it's all of that helped help this foundation and, and momentum and get, getting people there. So um, as terrible as a tragedy as that is, there's, there's hopefully, you know, more good coming out of it, um, right. you know, every day. And, you know, ESA is, is farthering that along. I mean, what those guys are doing is, is incredible. Um, you know, love being part of it and love coming back. And, and it's, you know, some of, I, I can't even retain everything that you learn there, but you come back and you can implement a little bit of it and then you go soak up some more of it, you know, and it's kind of a, a progressive, gives you, you know, gets your momentum going. And there was these, a seminar on like the culture of safety. And I can't remember how they broke it all into the different categories, but, you know, with really implementing that from the bottom up is how you're going to make that change. And, you know, it, you can't do it from the top down. You have to get the lowest man on the totem pole a voice for change. And that part resonated very, very well with me. And that's what I came back and tried to enforce in my team. And I try to support them every day. And, you know, I have their back on it. And even today when I have guys going out who, you know, as we navigate the COVID concerns, you know, and I say, if it's not being done right, you stop work. I've got your back. I don't care. You know, right. we're going to do it right. We're going to do it safe. That's, and I, preach that all the time to, to, you know, all my guys, like, it's okay. You're not like, I've got your support. You call a safety violation on site and you stop work. I'll deal with the, the fallout, you know, however I can, but it's not going to be a fallout between you and I, you, you know, I, you're, yeah. you're there to do that. that. That is your role. And it's a terrible role. <laughs> you know, it's a hard spot to be, um, especially with, uh, you know, mixed crews and mixed contractors and all of that, mm -hmm. and these gray lines of who's in charge of who. Um, but it's it's all of our responsibilities you know, to do when, that. So, so they've resonated a lot of that sort of insight, you know, with me. Which right. Is huge. So kind of all tied together is the Indiana State Fair collapse, one of the issues, and there were several that led to, to that uneventful day, um, was a lack of clear hierarchy in decision-making. Mm -hmm. Who had authority to make decisions? And from that, we've talked about uh, in trainings, emergency management plans, especially with outdoor structures, which you guys do quite a fair amount of, mm -hmm. and talking about uh, Oasis Stageworks, Frog, who's the owner, uh, he passed away recently, last uh, year, um, but he would talk about in his contracts or he would he would say, you know, this is the person who has final say as to whether anyone can be on the stage or not, given given uh, certain circumstances. And he would say, and once that person makes the decision, that's fine. I have attorneys and that's what I pay them for is to fight about who's going to pay for the fact that the show didn't happen or anything a promoter may be worried about lost revenue. He's like, that's, mm -hmm. that's what the contract and the attorneys for. 
my sole purpose is doing a successful event. And that includes not doing a performance and people walking away and going home safely. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is kind of a, a, it's a cultural shift. And we recognize that to get people to buy into the, it's a team and safety is everyone's responsibility. And it doesn't matter if it's the other company on site, if they're doing something unsafe, that is going to affect you both physically and tangentially and fi- potentially financially, because in an incident, everyone's getting sued. If you're yeah. on a job site, you're the catering truck driver, you're on site, something happens, you're getting sued. You have to pay your attorney or your insurance company will have to pay an attorney to go in and say, he's the canteen truck driver. He has nothing to do with it. Yep, you're dismissed. Mm-hmm. But you're mm-hmm. out that money to say. Mm-hmm. So making it everyone's responsibility uh, is an important cultural shift, it's, which I think. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. It is a good cultural shift. And, and it's, it's, a, it's all about education and having those conversations up front. You know, nobody likes the surprise of, of this. And, you know, an example, last summer, um, we had a, a stage and a roof up, a, sm- a small one. And one of my guys was, was on site, uh, you know, babysitting it for the show day. And, and we lowered in each night. And, and uh, the winds were too high to raise it, right? Because when you, when you move the roof, it's in its least stable position. And the promoter... I got a, <laughs> I got a call from, from my guy who, you know, I owe the world to, cause it's, it's a horrible situation. I wouldn't want to be in issues. And he's like, Hey, John, um, they're threatening to have me arrested because I won't raise the roof. And, and <laughs> my immediate response to him, well, well tell him that if you're arrested, the roof has absolutely no chance of going up. <laughs> right. You know, like that, that, that's not going to help the situation. <laughs> right. Uh, um, and he's like, yeah. And he doesn't want me back here tomorrow. And I'm like, well, tell him that you're going to be back there tomorrow because you're doing your job. <laughs> and this is, right. this is why he's paying us. He's paying us to do this to him. Um, you know, and, and that promoter got on the intercom on the PA and announced to the crowd that, he apologized for the position of the roof and that United Staging refused to raise it and it's their fault because of insurance reasons, right? And it tells you the, the mentality of some of these guys that that they don't they don't get it, you know. I, I'm sure if you sat them down and explained it, you know, but they're so stressed out, right? And they're, you know, probably in over their heads financially and it, you know, they got to have it go on so, so they can get their bills paid and we can get paid and all that. And we, get, we get that, you know, respect the financial impact of it. You know, fortunately, it wasn't like you know, some giant festival. Um, but still, like, you, you, it's not the way to handle it, you know, and you got these crazy, crazy people out there that, that want to do concerts and be concert promoters and, and they'll they'll put you in some terrible situations. And I, you know, I give, give that guy, the guy there, all the credit in the world for standing his ground and saying, saying no, you know, an extremely hard thing is to tell yeah. a client no, Yeah, but it is sometimes the right decision to make. And it's nice to see in a, a company that empowers the employee to say, no, that's the right decision. And we stand behind you. And, um, as again, as Frog would say, that's that's what the contracts for, and that's what the attorneys for. Let them fight that out, and 
decide who's owed money for what. But especially as you've mentioned a few times, the the new world we live in where uh, events, I guarantee going forward, uh, event insurance will be a growing market because people are very concerned about if we plan to do an event and we have to cancel because uh, what is known as in the legal world, force majeure, if I pronounce that correctly, um, or as the slang goes, act of God, cancels your event, you're out. And I think with the fluid situation of COVID and can we get together in groups of 25 or 50 or 100 and it's going to change based on, on a lot of factors, people want to try to do an event. But if it cancels, can you recover any of the investment that you made into doing the event? Right. So that's certainly going to be something that changes going forward. It will. No, the whole COVID thing is, is, I mean, I'm just hoping the scientists get their shit together and figure it out. <laughs> Take care of it yeah. for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ready to get back to normal. <laughs> yep. I don't want a new normal at all. <laughs> no, no, no. I like the old normal. Old yep. normal is pretty good. Well, yep. So... Who have some of your mentors been? And uh, normally I, I pose that as a, you know, who have your mentors in rigging been? But um, I would allow you to shift that a little and say, who have some of your mentors been in rigging and or in business as you've navigated this new experience of being a business owner? And I say new, um, it's several years old, but right. I, don't, I don't think you ever get used to it. No, no, it was, it was a... It was a subtle shift for me because I, I much of the same tasks were all the same. So it just kind of more the, uh, you know, the, the risk grew, you know, but the job didn't change a whole lot. Um, my mentors in that world. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't, I'm at the risk of sounding conceited. I don't know that I, I have a whole lot. I mean, I, you know, I, I, forever will look up and, you know, respect, uh, you know, Larry Morley, uh, who gave me this opportunity to begin with. Um, but in, in terms of mentorship, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it's been self discovered and taught and, and, um, you know, I'm able to, I'm able to discuss things with other, you know, business owners, uh, you know, in a, in an interesting way sometimes, but, but yeah, there hasn't been, there hasn't been like a, a mentorship in, in that sort of way. I mean, out of, yeah, I feel like I'll think about it when you get off here and then feel yeah. that I forgot yeah. somebody. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, um, so you yourself are not ETCP certified. However, you have been both supportive of the program, not only in uh, supporting employees who might want to get the certification, but also giving opportunity for those who are certified to re, uh, get renewal credits through training. Do you want to talk a little bit about as an owner and as someone who hires employees, what that certification brings to the table for them in terms of how you look at it? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll correct it. I, I do carry my arena. Uh -huh. Certification, yeah. See, um, I, I felt that it would be a uh, embarrassment to the company to have the owner of a rigging company not participate <laughs> in the in the program. <laughs> um, I'll so. first, I'll apologize, and I'm happy that I was wrong. <laughs> yep, yep. No, no, I've had that 
have that uh, long enough to at least renew it once. So, so it's been, been a number of years, but um, the, you know, I remember, I remember when they sent out the, the surveys, you know, to say, Hey, would this be a good idea? Would you be in support of this? Um, and uh, that was probably in like 2004, 2005, somewhere around there that they were sending out those questionnaires and, and, you know, I voted, yeah, I think this is great. I mean, I personally, you know, remember, um, when I was starting out, you know, hanging, hanging, you know, line arrays and stuff over top of the president and being like, nobody has asked me if I know how to do this. <laughs> you know, they, they just assumed, um, like this is, this is not, this is not great. Right. So, um, you know, I, I was all for, for that certification. And I think I've got, I've got mixed feelings on it, to be honest with you. I think it's a great program, right? Don't get me wrong. That's, that's not one of the mixed feelings, whether it truly makes somebody capable of being a rigger or not is where my feelings, you know, get mixed. Right. Um, it's, it's a lot of book smart and, um, and you know, the, the practical nature of it is not really tested in that, in the exam. But I, I think it gives you some credentials. I think it, it shows uh, others that you're serious about your, your craft, um, that you're investing that time into it, that you can be challenged, that you have at least gone through the process on load path, you know, determinations and calculations and analyzing you know, analytical thinking of rigging systems and how right. load flows through the whole system, not just one piece. Um, I, I think that's huge. And I think for me as a business owner, the more people I have with that certification, um, the, the better off we'll be. Like it, it can't hurt. It only offers uh, a little bit of validity, but some of the best riggers I know don't have it you know, and they don't need it. Um, they're more than capable of passing the exam, but I don't know. They're still those stubborn individuals <laughs> that right. are out there who don't want to jump on board and, and they're not required. And, and the only thing that will get people required is, is venues, you know, yeah. mandating it. Um, I tell you right, right now we're up in Toronto with the NHL and blown away by uh, that local and their policies for riggers up there, um, that there are rescue people on the call, every call. Anytime there's uh, you know two riggers in the air, there's a rescue person in the air, there's a rescue person on the ground for every call. Um, and what I was led to believe is that that person it they're doing that training on their own accord it, what it does is allows them and they don't get a different rate they got the same rate as the upgraders but it allows them more calls and more opportunities and the venue has mandated this and the union there has mandated this you know the IATSE group so more of that you know really needs to really needs to happen in the states where Hey, you know, like I, the, the, I'm kind of going off on a different tangent, but the, the rescue plans, 
need to be there yep. and people need to be trained to actually implement them. You know, and I think that's something that the state is significantly lacking on um, is that enforcement. Because I can tell you right now, as somebody writes quotes for a rigging company, when you put that in the bill, it's the first line and people try to knock out of there. Well, why do we need that? Well, hopefully you don't. <laughs> right. You know? But isn't but that what I'm hiring you for? So that right. we don't right. need that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but but there's a lot of that. And they, I even remember, you know, my day starting out like, you know, we I'd work with you over in the armory, right? And how many times have we put horizontal lifelines on trust there? Well, good would that have yeah. been? <laughs> you know, yep. uh, wasn't high enough. Uh, you know, you're like you, you, back to the more you, the more you learn, the less you know. Um, right. You know, but uh, I don't know if that answered your question or not. I forgot, I forgot what you asked. <laughs> no, no, it, 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 we were talking about the ETCP program. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah, that, and that's that guy, those guys. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic well, program. <laughs> I, I I think what's funny is you had mentioned that, you know, some of it's book smarts and that mm-hmm. has been in criticism has been, well, someone can sit down and read a couple of books and pass the test. Um, and that's assuming that they have been honest in their application for the number of work hours that you're supposed to have to qualify to take the test. Mm-hmm. Um but I think what we're starting to see, especially in the current environment, is you you can have people with DR before their name, doctor or PhD or whatever, who may may, may not necessarily be qualified for a particular subject. It right. um, you know not not to devalue it because they certainly go to school for a long time, but to say that every single person who obtains that qualification or that title uh, is going to be perfect or at, you know, there's an interesting thing that we talk about when the certification questions are created, which is uh, not when we write a question, it's not what should every rigor absolutely 100% know it is what is the minimum level of knowledge that we'd expect a rigor with the certification to know so we're you know by the nature of the exam you're not looking for the top one percent of the top five percent of rigors you're talking about the minimum base level which really can throw you off sometimes mm-hmm. um if we were looking for that top 1%, guess what? A lot of people wouldn't have the certification. There would be five people with the certification. Right. Um, so the idea is to find that sweet spot. And again, we've talked about in previous podcasts that it's not designed to be a certification for every single rigor. It is supposed to be for those lead riggers, for that upper right. tier of riggers right. um, to supervise and help uh, the other people on the crew. Yeah, no, we, we don't need all the upriggers to have their ETCB certification to do their job. You need them to have fall protection certification and, you know, and knowledge on that and rescue training, not not knowing how much a quarter inch shackle can hold. You know, right. That, that's for somebody yeah. else to figure out. That's for the guy, you know, who decided to send it to him to figure out. So you're, you're right there. It's 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 not. It's not for everybody, and uh, yeah, it was it was never intended for that. You know, it's intended right. to give people who are doing the planning and the figuring out some credentials yep. that they know what they're talking about. Yep, absolutely. Well, I, I, you know, 
I took the test back in 2005. That was probably the last time I took any real tests. And I just recently took a test for uh, the state, which we're both based in, which is Massachusetts, for their hoisting exam. And uh, I was having flashbacks from 15 years before studying and being like, oh, and this test and everything. And I get through the test and it was so easy. It was just, it, it was all in my head. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and afterwards I got the results. I was like, oh, I was totally fine. I, I, I stressed out for nothing, um, which is also an issue with the, the ETCP's process, which is people getting in their heads about taking a test. And maybe they haven't done that in quite a few years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And uh, not everyone is great test takers. So, Oh, yeah. I, I had test anxiety for it. I mean, I didn't tell anybody on my team I was going to do it in case I didn't pass. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I'm not going to tell I'm going to do it today. I'm just I'm just out today. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, and then I, I studied. Yeah, I studied like crazy. I felt like I was cramming for it. Like I was back in college. And then I got asked what the Canadian ANSI number was on a harness. And I'm like, I have no idea. That's <laughs> not what I was focusing on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So... Did you yeah, do a? Yeah. Did you do it at a testing center on, on at a computer or? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. How, that's the, I'll ask you that question. How was that experience? Because I took mine what we call paper and pencil, and mm-hmm. for a long time, when it first came out, that's all you could do. And then it got uh, broader, where you could go to testing centers like an H and R Block, and mm-hmm. now, most recently in the last few months, we've rolled out the at-home testing where you sit uh, with a proctor, a virtual proctor who's watching you and there's software involved and everything where you can take the exam sitting in a empty room. Uh, So it keeps progressing, but how, you know, do you, not that you've taken the, the, the exam paper pencil, but how was that experience taking it at a testing center? Do you think that it was would have been, do you perceive that maybe it was different than had you had the opportunity to do it paper and pencil? Or do you think it wouldn't make a difference at all? I No, I don't, to me, I don't think it'd really make a difference. I mean, I I, I didn't, I found the, the process, probably the only thing I could see making a difference is where's your clock ticking on the paper and pencil? Is that like on the wall in front of you or is that like right, <laughs> right on the screen? It's, because... it's a proctor telling you, you have 90 minutes, you have yeah. 60 minutes. Yeah. I mean, that, that was probably the only thing that, <laughs> that was like added anxiety is like, how much time do I have? You know? And I was like, well, I got tons of time. And then I used, it was a three hour test, right? And, and yep. it took me like two hours and 55 minutes. And it surprised me. <laughs> you know, when, that, when you that got to, when you got to 24 minutes left, did it start yep. making noise like 24? I, I, no, <laughs> no, I don't think it did. Yeah. But, but no, I mean the, the overall, it was, it was kind of like going to the DMV and taking a test, if you will, or right. something like that. Like, uh, I mean, it was, it was an H and R block and um, it, it was fine. It was fine. I didn't, I didn't feel like there was any shortcomings in the experience at all. Like it was there, there was a test, you know, there was a person, I think making sure I didn't, have you know i wasn't like looking through an encyclopedia of answers um yeah but no no the, the, i thought it was pretty good i thought it was pretty good yeah. have you done anything uh interesting or different than the norm for getting your renewal credits you mentioned you renewed once did you uh 
do you try to do something different than the standard take a class from XYZ? Uh, no, I think with us, you know, <laughs> I got the luxury of hosting a bunch of classes. So yep. the, the education credits, uh, you know, ticked up pretty, pretty easily. Um, yeah. And, you know, that, you know, we, we've tried different to offer different, different classes and different instructors throughout the year. So we get some variety and, and, you know, different opinions and schools of thought on that. And, um, but no, there wasn't, there wasn't anything like unique to, to get the credits, uh, you know, to renew. Is it's pretty funny. A few years ago, um, when Rocky, Rocky, wow, accents started to come out there. When Rocky, <laughs> when Rocky was uh, starting to to slow down on teaching, you actually had him in uh, in the the Boston market to do one of his last trainings. Yeah. And uh, I was actually heading out to the West Coast to do a training for someone out there. And Rocky's based on the West Coast, mm-hmm. so we actually got dinner the one night we were both in Boston uh, after he taught and we we're joking about how it's funny how we're each traveling across the country. We should have uh, referred each other and pocketed the uh, travel expense. Um, but you guys have done a good job of bringing in different, different instructors and different topics. It's not always the same, you know, I teach practical rigging experience and knowledge. Um, you've brought in fall arrest people. You've brought in uh, scaffold people. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've trained, you've changed it not only for your employees, but for the, the open enrollment market as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, yeah, I, I think to try to keep some diversity there and, and, and yeah. it's also, yeah, what, what to do next and, you know, get some, get some feedback. So it's not the same thing. So there's, there's growth with it, you know, that that's kind of right. key. Like, let's keep it fresh. Let's keep it growing. And, you know, there's only, so many people that are going to sign up every year and we want to at least keep the same people engaged and and growing because the more technicians that are out there that are trained the better our experiences on site are going to be you know the better job we're going to be able to execute um you know so so having switching it up as much as we can which which becomes a challenging because we will still want it to be relevant to what we do and you know there's only so many areas topic you cover in staging a rigging company um where you're not doing like an entry level and intermediate and expert advanced level training you know we're trying to keep it you know neutral in that aspect but um it's yeah it's been fun i mean i'd like to see it continue you know we definitely like to keep it going and do more and we you know try to do it at a time of year where people are slow and they're able to attend and we're able to focus on it and, and uh, yeah. all that. So we'll just be sitting in hamster balls doing it. I think this, you know, the next time, next time around. Yeah. Sitting yeah. in little glass balls and <laughs> roll into glass. <laughs> yep. Where do you see the entertainment rigging industry going or where did you see it going before February of this year? Um, <laughs> yeah, straight, I, I, straight in the toilet. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, we're we're a company that that's 
that specializes in rigging and we are fighting the good fight you know the big guys that throw in rigging you know to get their bids won and all of that and and that mentality i despise and it's so frustrating <laughs> to you know try to do that and i i hope that we can continue to bring education and light to the rigging companies um you know that that are left that do focus on this that do have it in their name um so so that we can you know keep our craft going and it just doesn't get consumed into you know one of these entities that wants to be everything to everyone um i don't think that's a good good place to be you know i think one of my one of my best sayings that i've heard is like you're not going to call a rigging company for your lighting package you know so right why do it the other way um you know and i think that there's there's gear providers and then there's rigging solution providers and you know we like to think of ourselves and want to be on the solution provider side and with that comes the widgets and the knickknacks and the tools to do the unique setups properly and safely and, and the right training and i hope that you know the rigging rigging technology doesn't change a whole lot the automation technology is advancing you know but the the, the science and the physics <laughs> behind it doesn't change right. and the, you know and the cm hoists that are out there you know they're like volkswagen bugs they just keep replacing some parts inside and keep the thing running forever um it, you know these it's great you know i don't i don't see a lot of advancement there besides automation but i, I see more advancement in the education, the knowledge, the understanding, and building of specialized crews to, to execute that work properly. Like, like that's that's where I want to see it go. Um, I want to see it advance in that world that you have properly trained individuals, not just guys with a harness who can pull, you know, Two hundred pounds repeatedly all day long because you know the giant arms. Like, right? It's it's it, it needs to focus more on the the safety and the execution, and people need to give us more time to do our jobs properly. You know that that's that's where I hope it goes. Um, yeah. And it's it's brought in as an afterthought. It, you know, we we fight the, the battle a lot on. You know, you work on these productions and your head rigger needs to fight for a second to be with them. But I don't know, go look at the video and the lighting and the audio guys. There's like 15 of them in each department. <laughs> you know, and the guy responsible for all of them has trouble with the budget getting a second. So, you know, it's kind of the rigging can't be an afterthought. You know, it's it's part of it. And um, I think I think it getting the attention uh you know, on that side of it is, is huge. It needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, and it's the hardest thing to do because it's not a technology improvement. It's not a widget that changes our workflow. It is the people. Yep. It's the, again, we use the word over and over. I'm sure people are sick of hearing it. It's the culture. Mm -hmm. um, but we've seen a change in that already. I mean, how many... Even just five years ago, if you asked someone to put a hard hat on, on a load in, they, they'd roll their eyes at you. 
and or yeah. as you mentioned, high vis. And now it's becoming more of the norm of, yep, nope, got my hard hat. Whether or not I wear it's a different issue, but you know, at least people have them and we're becoming more aware of what the regulations already are and we just comply better with them. Right. And as I mentioned uh, last week with Dave, reading a book where uh, the statistic was that when you use proper PPE, your productivity productivity actually goes up uh, quite a bit. The stat they used was almost 35%. Um, and that has to do with people feel comfortable, they do their job efficiently, um, they feel they're in a safe environment. So part of it is mental versus, oh, this is unsafe. Let's take our time. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's be slower climbing over the top of the ladder because we're doing it wrong. Well, <laughs> that's wasted time versus if you had the correct size ladder and you just got the job done faster, then you're more productive. So mm -hmm. yeah, that mindset great tools in, the, in the plan. It's having, having the plan too. Like you got to have it thought out ahead of time. Um, right. You know, how are we going to, we have this challenge. We have an access challenge. We have a safety challenge, whatever. You know, we have a fall hazard. Like how do we mitigate it prior to ever getting to the job site? Yeah. You know, and, and it's taking that, taking that time ahead of the show and that pre-production to, to solve all those problems and think about them and not just roll in like cowboys and, you know, yeah. get it done, hammer it out. We got two hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, get a bigger hammer. Yep. yep. What's on your rigging or rigger bucket list? Rigging or rigger bucket list? I don't know. It'd be cool to do something for NASA. <laughs> but no. I don't I don't know, Ethan. That's a that's a tough one. I don't think there's anything there <laughs> i think it's i think it's just getting getting through this you know getting, getting yeah. right now right now it's keeping a rigging company alive <laughs> right. hey, hey. <laughs> that's on my bucket list hopefully it's a short-term bucket list right right um, exactly i mean i think that's that's the hard reality is we we have seen it locally um depending on how long this this all goes there are going to be companies that don't make it through this um yeah. unfortunately yeah. Uh, and, and that's a scary proposition. So yeah, that's certainly going to be on the bucket list. Just, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow's on my bucket list. <laughs> right. Right. One day at a time, one day at a time. Yeah, no, it's, 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 we're, we're all in the industry uh, faced with some, some terrible futures and, and I hope everybody, I hope everybody makes it and, you know, everybody's got their islands to come back to and, you know, we're doing our best here to, to, you know, honor our obligations and stay in business and get everybody, you know, back as quickly as we can and, and you know, do whatever we got to do, you know, to fight this fight. But it's, it is tough. It is tough. It's tough when you, nah. your, your craft has been made illegal to do. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. like, but I, I talk to friends who are not in the industry and say, Basically, you're talking about an industry that got shut down in 48 hours because most states very quickly went from uh, you, you can have your event. You can't have your event if it's more than 500 people, more than 100 people, more than 50, 25. It, and we got down to more than 10 or 8 people in a group 
that all happened within 48 hours mm -hmm. and every movie television show live event performance theater social events everything just disappeared and uh and it's going to be some time before those things can come back appropriately is is the key thing certainly we can yeah. have you know we've seen on social media concerts and parties and everything else but the question is can you do it safely where it yep. doesn't hurt us more than it helps right right now it's a it's a real challenge that's a real challenge we've we've analyzed a, a lot of different setups and, and ways to do things and the economics don't don't make sense uh, right. you just can't get enough people there uh, to do yep. right. and sometimes sometimes as we said the right choice is not to do the show yep so that's it it's a tough choice to make but sometimes it's the right one mm -hmm. righty well i'm gonna hit you with the tough question now what is your best or worst rigor joke <laughs> i'm pretty bad at jokes so i I don't, I don't really have one <laughs> on that. You don't have one? Uh, no, no. I, w I wish I did. I, I was kind of worried you were going to ask me that. <laughs> but. All right. Well, I'll, it, because of our long friendship, I'm going to let you call a friend, which will be me. Yep. I'll, I'll what do you got? One. What do you got? What's, what's the difference between a rigor and a mutual fund? What's that? A mutual fund eventually matures and makes some money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go i like it i like it you got you gotta end on a high note yep absolutely well i'm gonna say thanks john for uh spending some time uh talking about the industry and about uh your experience within it and as an owner of the company mm -hmm. i will certainly uh throw some show notes up that have some links to the usr uh social media and website and some of the cool projects that you guys have worked on over the course of the last few years and cool. and such like that and uh, and i'll give you the opportunity if there's anything else i didn't ask or think something you want to bring up to the listeners you can do that now or we can just say goodbye uh no i mean there's nothing that, that jumps out um you know thanks for the time thanks for uh you know including me in your project here appreciate it and happy to be a part of it I, I'm glad we already had a chance to do this and and hopefully it was uh, enjoyable for the listeners. So yeah, with yeah. that, the shit out of some people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Certainly myself. Oh hey. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my> Joker. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And until next time, keep the pin in the shackle. Son, you know your father was a rigger. A rigger was he. Son, the shoes you have to fill are bigger, as big as can be.